podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. A Scottish football podcast that isn't obsessed with just two teams. Niche nonsense. Or surprisingly brilliant. You decide. The Terrace Scottish Football Podcast. The cult Scottish football podcast now adapted into a hit TV show. Search the Terrace Scottish Football Podcast on your chosen podcast player now. Well, Gareth, good fun this week. Lots of football to talk about. It feels like everyone's been able to watch the games, either whether they're just staying at home more or the games are spaced out in a way that we can see them. But either way, it's great, isn't it? It was great. You know, and it was it was actually really fun just to to, to whiz around the uh, whiz around the, the league and feel like we you know, at least got a thought and opinion on everything. I and also Alan uh, dropped some absolutely cracking nuggets of uh, uh, betting information in terms of who people were following in their trends. So yeah, very insightful. Always good value uh, getting Alan on. Yeah, I, I'd urge you to listen. Um, I know that he's uh, he's a regular on the the Arsenal pod, um, so it's good to get him when we can. And yeah, as you said, he gives a couple of nuggets. Um, we we do do a close up on Arsenal having Alan on, and then obviously had a good bit on Spurs with yourself. Yeah, you know, it's it's. I think we were both uh, falling over each other to uh, be nice about the other's team while quite damning of our own. So. Yeah, people find some perverse pleasure in that, I think. Don't be expecting that self-depreciation every week. Um, and we touch on the 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 Peter Pan of Premier League football, uh, Jamie Vardy. Um, it, it's just not going to stop, is it? It's no, going to go on and on and on and on. Um, and then we have a look at some of the runners and riders at the bottom because there's a fair few to talk about that will be disappointed with this weekend's games. Um, so, yeah, it was good. To, it was good chat, wasn't it, Gareth? It was it was absolutely cracking, and I, I think that uh, <laughs> covered all bases. Well, it, 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 you would expect us to say not, nothing else, but anyway, listen to the show, enjoy it, subscribe, feedback, all of that stuff, and uh, we'll be back next week. Okay, week two. Welcome back to the Whistleblowers. Uh, we have some football to talk about this week, which is which is nice. Uh, I'm delighted to be joined by Mr. Alan Alger. Alan, great to have you on. Good to be here. How's um uh, how's this weekend been? Did you did you get to any football? Yeah, I managed to get to West Ham against Newcastle. Um, used one of the press passes from from being West Ham sponsor. Uh, less said about that, the better at the moment. Yeah, very much so. Well, we'll come on to that in a minute. Um, uh, glad to say I'm being joined by uh, regular co-host Gareth Dobson. Gareth, great to have you on. Hey, nice to be here. I am fully gorged on a weekend of football. It was it was filling, wasn't it? Yes, a lot, a lot of meat and potatoes, maybe, but but I feel very satisfied. Yeah, lovely. Well, uh, Alan, I'll come back on to. The, well, usually when we, we we've got you on, it's, it's to talk about some some misery happening for Arsenal and and not not professionally, but um, you you had to witness West Ham, but then get to enjoy the the um, the fruit of Arsenal's labour against Fulham. Did you did you see the highlights of the game? I managed to watch, I managed to watch the Arsenal game and then and then went along to the London Stadium because um, the, they they were the first and last game of the day. So um, I saw I saw all of the Arsenal game and I thought that it was really positive. I, see, the thing is, at the moment, the Arsenal fan base is it's very it's still very divided. People are saying it's united behind Arteta, but it's united in a weird way behind Arteta. It's there's still divisions from the old Wenger days. 
and it must be boring to all outside fans of, of other clubs, but essentially, as, as soon as Arsenal have a win or look to be on the up, which, you know, granted they do at the moment because of, you know, um, a, a fantastic result off the back of winning the FA Cup in, in the lockdown games and winning the Community Shield. So everything's on the up, but people are trying to prove why that is at the moment. And it's, it's a, I think it's very basic. And, and I also think that the fact that Fulham away on paper at the start of the season is every club's easiest away game. <laughs> um, they, they've got the lowest rating in, in the Premier League of all the teams at the moment. So that is your easiest away game. And we've gone there and we've won 3-0. We've kept a clean sheet and scored over two goals for the first time in something like 1,400 days. Now, that, for me, is the big thing. A Premier League away win where we score more than two goals and don't concede the first time in well over three years, uh, nearly four years. And to me, that's probably the key thing there, is, is the fact that it's winning. But it's winning in a slightly different way. So does that suggest that Arsenal were back on the up? Time will tell. Um, there are people going mad over one game when when there's 37 to go. And and on the flip side of that, obviously you've got West Ham fans that are saying it's all doom and gloom from losing that one game against Newcastle because now they have a really tough run of fixtures. So the Newcastle game was almost like a marker. Um, I mean, saying there's a must-win game on your first game of 38 is <laughs> incredible. But some West Ham fans were saying that because of how tough their next fixtures are. Well, listen, on this podcast and perhaps many other ones, Alan, uh, that you featured on, no one will ever accuse you of uh, being overly kind to not even your own team. I'd say you're, you're very much considered a pragmatist and you will give it partly because I would imagine leaning towards your professional uh, career, which is dealing with the, the odds of something, uh, the probabilities of something, or certainly trying to be as close to the truth as possible. Uh, I, I'd say that... Um, that's a very fair summation of the Arsenal performance because you're right, you're expected to go there and do it, but to go there and do it is another thing, isn't it? Because, you know, you look at the other big results of the weekend, like Leicester putting all those goals in against West Brom. That's not that's not a given, and it's certainly not easy. I mean, you know, it's, so they still had to go there and do it, but... Um, but yeah, there is that. Uh, I don't what the expression "regression to the mean" for you. Yeah, I'm sure there's a normality that comes out th- throughout yeah. the season, but you've got to start on the right foot. Yeah, you have, and I think more more related, possibly to, to being a player and something you'd be able to to answer far far uh, better than I can is that if there's that kind of mood that you you've you've already achieved something, then do players slightly drop off? I'm thinking, you know. Just a quick reaction to the Sheffield United result tonight. Yep. They're being praised for having a really solid defence at home and nobody going there and scoring many. And they're playing against the Wolf side that usually keep it tight themselves in the first uh, in the first half of, of each game. Um, in fact, ahead of tonight's game, it was the shortest price it's ever been for a game to be nil-nil in the Premier League. So wow. it had the lowest goals expectation of any Premier League game in history. In history. Wow. And then there's two goals in the first six minutes. So it, it, it's incredible. And, and I just wondered if that thing with Sheffield United is, we've done it now. You know, what does it feel like to do it again? Does that, does that happen to players? 
the sophomore slump. It, it, it's exactly what happens. And you get that. You can sometimes get a few years in. You need a manager that's constantly drumming you. And I don't for a second think that Chris Wilder is doing anything other but the utmost preparation because he knows he's fighting an uphill battle. But what you do get is you do get that slight softness. Uh, and even... I would say that Sheffield United have suffered because of what's happened with the home crowds. I think home Sheffield's a tough place to go and they're a well-supported team. I mean, like, Gareth, we were just talking last week, weren't we, about um, even like Everton and about what are the chances of Everton coming out and having a different mindset? Because even when you look at that figure at the beginning uh, fixture, you're like, well, it's still Everton, though. You know, you still don't expect them to go there and beat, beat Tottenham 1-0 and keep it tight at the back. And perhaps created more chances than I, I think you you highlighted Calvert-Lewin last week didn't you and he, he he's already come out for you oh hang on no you're right I've forgotten about that I oh shock I made a good call um <laughs> I I was probably trying to uh reverse jinx it but I I think with uh yeah with Everton that there's probably some pessimistic Spurs fans who will say this is exactly what they thought was going to happen a <laughs> you know a dour Spurs performance and I'm not even sure a sucker punch by Everton is fair. You know, their goal probably came at a point where Spurs had had a few moments. But across the across the game, I, I think Everton were at least equally good value for a win. Um, and I, I do think that, you know, somewhere between enthusiasm and, and, and preparation comes into it. Everton looked really well drilled. And even though a lot of those players, you know, it was a whole new midfield uh, came in. Very recently, they still seem to be pretty well drilled and ha- have a good game plan. Whereas, you know, tellingly, Mourinho comes out and his explanation was his plan was fine. It was just that the players failed to execute it, which is not what you want to hear, you know, on, on the first game of the season. Uh, one question I, I want to ask, and I don't want it to be the most obvious question to maybe ask about Tottenham at the moment. But when you watch the documentary and you feel like that's very much now, you know, when you watch a documentary and it's like, I don't mind watching it if it's a year or two old. It's even like watching that Liverpool when they won the league. It almost felt like that's, we've drawn a line under that. We've moved on. Whereas with the Tottenham documentary, I don't feel that. I feel like that we're very much looking into the dressing room that Jose was talking to. Yeah, no, very much so. It's, um, you know, obviously some of that footage was only recorded a couple of months ago. So it is incredibly, uh, you know, relevant. And, you know, the criticisms that are highlighted, you know, in the documentary, which is him basically saying, you're too nice, you don't, you know, you need to get about it. And, you know, one of the big press lines, I think Hugo Lloris was, uh, had a big feature in uh, one of the broadsheets this weekend saying, you know, we need to be nastier, we need to be naughty and, and you know, really get onto it. You know, it's um, obviously didn't happen, but it, it's this sort of prevailing narrative. And I'm not really sure where that's actually from. It feels like a ready-made excuse because I think... Uh, for the first time in a generation, this has actually been a Spurs team with some edge. You know, players like uh, Deli Ali, you know, they're not retiring shy violets. Um, yeah. One of the reasons why I actually liked Danny Rose, especially, was because he was a very aggressive player. Um, yeah. He doesn't have a future at a future at Spurs. So I'm not sure where this comes from. I, I feel that it's another way of Mourinho just saying these aren't my players these aren't the ones I want and when when Spurs don't do well then it's not his fault he can only work with what he's he's been given and you know it, it's it's almost planting the seeds of you know the, the the story that you expect to be played out by him in in 12 months which is well I was never given a chance with this squad etc etc so is it, is it, 
he seemed to hang lots of excuses out there to see which ones actually stuck. <laughs> yes. I mean, you've referred to two of them there, but I'm pretty sure he's, he had five, didn't he? I, I think he said something about the training, how they could, how they could combine players in training wasn't to his liking um, because of some COVID tests. Um, the fact that he, he had to build off an international break. I mean, everyone did. I think they said before the game, Everton had nine away and Tottenham had 11 away. I mean, that's, you know, that's not far off off being a, a, a 50-50 call between the two teams there. So I, th- I just think he just came up with so many excuses. The weirdest thing for me is that Tottenham, at 1-0 down, as soon as they went 1-0 down, started playing like they were about 5-0 up. Mm. You know, just like, mm. like it was job done when it was actually, job's got a bit harder. You want to try a bit more. Yeah, it's really weird. Because Sorry, it was very strange, particularly, like you said. So the response to going to go down was... It wasn't so much terrible; it was just baffling. Yeah, yeah. Do you, have you seen any of the documentary? Oh, have you watched? I've watched any of it. I'm saving it all up to binge watch it. I've, I've seen yeah. some of the clips, and um, I haven't had time to sort of sit down and, and get my mind around it. But I love all the things like that, and um, obviously, yeah. you know, being an Arsenal fan, it might be quite enjoyable. This one. Well, this is the thing I find because I, I, I'm almost. I, Rivalries such as Celtic Rangers say I'm almost too repulsed to have to watch uh, what's going on or develop any sort of maybe not even sympathies but give these people a personality you know as a football fan you like to, you like to treat it as a very uh, a distant thing um, but that's the thing you do look inside and Gareth you bring it back to those points the press before games I mean like you'd be amazed at giving away that sort of stuff because immediately as a player you would just be like well, they're a soft touch. I mean, like, if they feel as though they're going to have to be nastier, then you're going to be able to draw fouls on them. And then ultimately, you know, deep down, they're faking it. I mean, one way or whatever way you look at it, you know, is it certainly if they're going to be playing against some of the tougher teams uh, mentally. Because, uh, because listen, I think Everton, I think Everton uh, are, are going to be a difficult proposition. But I think they play with a little bit more freedom and, and creativity than, than perhaps some of the other teams that, that Tottenham are going to go up against and expect to have to beat. Agreed. Um, speaking of uh, uh, tough mentality, I actually I have a question for Alan. So, the most surprising element of of, of your uh, your starting eleven this weekend, and I know he started in the um, in the the Community Shield, but I assume that was more of a a placeholder thing. So El Nenny coming yeah. back into well coming back into the club, let alone the team. You know, he he spent last year in was it was it Turkey. Um, yes, but obviously Arteta feels that you know he's a he's an important ingredient. So I mean, is that is that something you agree with? Is it because th- there isn't a player like him? Or would it? When I saw El Nenny's name on the team sheet, I thought that Arteta was doing something that, that Arsene Wenger used to do quite successfully, and he'd have players that he definitely wanted to get rid of. And he'd play them in slightly easy games just before <laughs> the window closed. And he'd then obviously make clear that they were available. And hopefully the, the combination of them playing semi-OK and going back on everybody's radar, plus the fact that he says they were available, he'd usually manage to, to, to offload players. Uh, not something he did that successfully towards the end, but he certainly did it sort of around, around the middle of his reign. And, and I saw El Nenny's name on the team sheet, and I know we've got a lot of injuries. I think I think we had six injuries, and at least four of those could have been pushing for a first-team place, particularly at the back and, 
and towards the back of the midfield. So um, that's why he was there. But then again, you see a player like that and um, it goes back to Gilberto Silva, who, who used to infuriate some Arsenal fans for not getting on the score sheet or having assists. But then if you were actually educated, you saw the fact that all he did was break up opposing attacks and win the ball back for us. And that's all you want him to do, that unseen work. And El Nenny did that perfectly well, again, against the Fulham team that are meant to be the worst in the division on paper. I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll slowly find out whether those ratings are true. But yeah, it was a surprise to see him. I think he's there because Arteta will see him as a decent backup option. I don't think he's done it to put him in the shop window. I think he's done it because he'll see him as a decent backup option. Well, I think that you make a great point there because that would that's I think that's the difference in manager's mentality. We're talking about Jose when he's got these players and he's saying they're not my players, you know, they're they're not gonna you know, he's not expecting them to do a job, or he's certainly putting it out there that well, when I get my players in, that's when we'll play well. Uh, whereas at least Arteta is looking to do it slightly differently. And you're right, Gareth, he came he's brought him in from the cold. But I think he, you can do that and I think that they, these are the, that was a good game to blood him back into, wasn't it, Alan? Well, yeah, I mean, as I say, you know, we were, we were strong favourites to win the game. Um, I think Arteta is going to be a completely different manage, manager to Jose Mourinho. We can, we can see that. Um, and the thing at the moment is, for, for all the trophies that he's won and for all the success he's had, it's very, very easy to spot the faults in Mourinho at the moment. And it's almost like a blueprint for all other managers, as particularly young managers like Arteta, to say that is not the way to do it. But I don't think he's that kind of character. So as you say, when he's bringing El Nenny into the squad, I think it's more to say we're we're much bigger than a, a few big individual players. And again, in contrast with Tottenham, I think Tottenham do have those players that need to be on their game. Otherwise, they just don't have a good game. Whereas I, I, I can't think of many teams that are so reliant on just two or three players having a very good day. Um, I think some of the scoring stats for the players that have been around Kane, and bear in mind, I think he had three or four uh, different partners yesterday. Um, and they've just not got on the score sheet with any kind of regularity recently. And, and that's a big, big problem because you're relying on him to do a, a big share of the work. However good he is, you still need players that are, that are pitching in with goals. And it's just not happened for Tottenham. Um a big reaction to that is that is that they were exactly the same price as Arsenal to finish in the top four uh, pre pre weekend and and pre the first ball kicked on Saturday morning. Really, and, uh, wow! Now Arsenal were two to one and Tottenham were out to five to one. They were both three to one to finish wow. in the top four on Saturday morning. So all of that price has shifted towards Arsenal, and uh, there's a massive gap between the two. And 38 games. I keep saying it. You know, it's it's something like two and a half percent of the season gone <laughs> so much of it left yeah absolutely Gareth you, anything you'd like to add before the break on 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 the Tottenham game and then we'll put it to bed um may, maybe just uh, linking up to uh, Alan's point about reliance on certain players I, I think uh, Son had one of his worst games uh, for a long time and I, I think you know he's become such a key player for for, for for Spurs now that when he's not firing then it's it's an uphill struggle no, sure, absolutely. Well, listen, go from uh, yeah, going from wondering where the goals are coming from. Let's come back and chat about a game where uh, the goals just kept coming. Uh, speak to you after break. 
If you want an e-bike that doesn't look like it's made for the shopping precinct, something that's less Mr Bean and more Steve McQueen, check out the range of bikes from London-based Cooler King. From dope 250-watt city bikes to Harley Bobber-inspired 750-watt beasts that can tear your face off while leaving your smile intact. Cooler Kings are made in limited numbers, yet highly affordable. Check them out now on the web at cooler.bike or find them on Instagram with hashtag CoolerKingBike. Cooler.bike. E-bikes that are cool AF. Okay, welcome back, guys. Uh, uh, the big game of the weekend that we highlighted, Gareth, I think the week before, just as a preview, but uh, it was a slightly obvious one, but it did, did deliver uh, Liverpool versus Leeds. Uh, did you catch the highlights at the very least? I did. I, I watched the whole game. It was, oh, nice. it was absolutely brilliant. It was, uh, uh, I mean, not just the scoreline, but it obviously really reminisced of those two classic uh, Liverpool-Newcastle games. Um Yes were just you know back and forth back and forth and it was you know it didn't seem like either team were particularly interested in defending which uh i suspect that that speaks more to some early season rustiness but uh you know leads as goals i think they whether you're a fan of this or not their xg was only about a goal um and the fact that they they scored three probably speaks more to to issues with liverpool but it was yeah it was just truly exciting because when liverpool go ahead you usually think well that that's it that's done and uh, and Lee's Lee's just kept on coming, and you know as is a BS way, you know they they pressed and pressed and they played incredibly high, and yeah, it, it, it was thrilling. I, I'm not sure how much you can read into the season from this game, apart from you know I would love for Leeds to be you know that level of of of, of performance and 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 excitement and uh, entertainment for the whole year. Yeah, well, uh, Alan, what was uh, your thoughts maybe from uh, from a business perspective as well? Were Leeds going into that not expecting, uh, not a great deal on them, but perhaps that, that freed them up to play a little bit better? I know they didn't necessarily have a lot of goals on target, but they looked dangerous, didn't they? Well, Gareth mentions XG and, and, and part of Leeds' rise in the Championship is that they attracted lots of attention from from the, the the people that that invest a lot of time in in looking at the XG, including a lot of professional gamblers that were real big fans of Leeds when they were in the championship, to the extent that those guys were saying when Leeds came up that they would finish mid-table. They did not have to worry about relegation. And we maybe, maybe saw that that was true at the weekend, even though, as Gareth says, they didn't actually register that bigger figure. I actually think that it was, as Klopp said at the end of the game, and he's usually pretty good at summing these things up. Attacking-wise, they had lots of fortune. And I think at the back, they just had one of those days that was combined with a bit of misfortune to make it seem that, uh, you know, they played badly. But then again, just look at this. You know, the previous game before the end of the season, they conceded three at home to Chelsea. They've just conceded three goals in two games on the trot, Premier League games at Anfield, which is quite incredible, really, if you'd said that about them. I know after lockdown, they, they did ease off in some of their matches. I mean, they won that Chelsea game 5-3, but uh, a 5-3 and a 4-3, their last two games at Anfield, our club's now thinking that they can target those flying wingbacks or flying fullbacks and say that defensively, defensively, they can be got at because a few pundits have been saying that this weekend. And I, I can't have that at all. I think it's a solid four. 
and it's a consistent form. Yeah, well, you get the interesting thing is it's amazing how quickly you can unpick the threads of any player if you just give the perception that they get attable because everyone's get attable. But when uh, Virgil Van Dijk was uh, imperious over the last two seasons, you know, particularly maybe two seasons ago when everyone was just like, this guy's, you know, there's no point competing with him because he's irresistible. Now you look at me like, do you know what? I'll just gamble. And when you've got strikers like Vardy, like Ings, like that are just relentless and just always going to be sniffing around. It only takes one or two bad things. Uh, I mean, like I've seen it with, you know, Lloris, uh, uh, you know, went from being the best keeper in the world to, to, to you know, ready to drop him. So, it, it, I mean, in terms of the, the ability for people's perceptions to change, it can happen quickly, can it, Gareth? Well, it does. And um, there was that statistic flying around, I think, half through last season, which was, I think Van Dyke had not been beaten, had not been dribbled past in a season and a half or, or something uh, absolutely crazy. But I think you're right. That, that Maybe that speaks to the fact, well, I wonder how often he'd been dribbled at, you know, whether yeah. you go and concentrate on that you attack the other, the other centre-back, you identify and isolate his partner. And, you know, I, I know obviously Van Dyke had a, you know, had a clangor, but I, I think Klopp's going to be more concerned about the form of Joe Gomez, who's just not been at it since, you know, he's been a comeback from injury last season. And, and, and you know, obviously I, I think Klopp wants him to nail down that centre-back place, but I think they, they actually probably look better with uh, uh, Joel Matip in there, which maybe isn't saying so much. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I, I mean, I, looking at the pockets, I don't know if you, either you saw some of the analysis stuff because, you know, I mean, the, the analysis stuff is obviously Bielsa. People are pouring over it at the minute, but just to see whether the players, the Leeds players popping up in those holes. I remember reminiscent of, you know, when Germany batted Brazil. They seemed to play with three guys higher up, or two guys certainly, pushed in behind the sitting midfielders of, um, of Brazil, and it just completely unsettled them. I'd say Liverpool have a lot more discipline than, than Brazil did that day, but it was interesting to see, and just just how, as long as you've got a player that's brave enough to get on the ball in a deep-lying position, how it can really start things off. Alan, did you I don't how, did you make anything of Bielsa? I know that him coming up is going to be an interesting one to be able to watch for you guys this season. He's a really interesting manager, and it, it, it's strange because I can't think of any manager coming up from the championship with, with a fixture away at the champions, away at Liverpool, that would have gone at it the way he did, um, which just shows how much of a class apart he is. Because I can think of so many managers down the years that would have tried to just steady the ship, right, we've come up, we've got our you know, most difficult away game on, on the opening day, let's shore it up. But he's, he's done the opposite there. And I wonder how many times he will do that when they have difficult away games this season. Because, you know, if they do go away at Arsenal, we've definitely still got chinks in, in their defence. They've got, uh, you've got Tottenham, you've got Chelsea. You know, you can could, you could make question marks about them. They think that the best way to go and approach those games is by attacking and getting players forward and pressing with three players. There could be some really interesting scorelines from Leeds away games this season. But the one thing he has to do, if he goes gung-ho in those six or seven games where they play the big sides away from home, they do have to rack up the points at home in the easier matches. That's how they're going to stay up. And and I don't think there's any doubt that they will, but that's where you need to build your base of points. I just wonder if he's clued up enough to know that. 
Yeah, no, that's that's an excellent point. Um, I think also the 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 fouls, knowing that they're playing against strikers that are just going to be that little bit quicker and cuter and sharper. And you know, the, I know one of the, the the penalties was a handball, but what did you see Salah's strike for the first penalty? I was like, there's a man that's full of confidence, just put his foot right through it, top of the net. It was absolutely beautiful. And I I, I want to come on to just a couple of the other games because we talk about the importance of teams that do it regularly against the teams that they've got to do it regularly against. And I think Crystal Palace again, Gareth, I don't know if you saw any of that. I mean, pretty much a, a, a local resident. They, they must be your local team in the Premier League. Um, just uh, yeah. business as usual a little bit there. I mean, but Zaha might have some foils to play off now. Yeah, I... I uh... I think it might have actually been a, a really important victory for Crystal Palace. You know, first it stops the it essentially stops the rot from that terrible run at the end of last season. I think they lost seven in a row post lockdown, um, and it feels like this is a really important season for the club because um, they're blooding young players and they're obviously trying to bring freshen up the side. You know, it's 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 a pretty aging side, um, and there are question marks over Roy Hodgson, which. Personally, I think things are very unfair. You know, he's 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 built to manage a club like Crystal Palace, which I mean, in the most complimentary way. He's yep. such a safe pair of hands. But obviously, as he gets older, people you know start to question how long he can go go for. But um, so you do think that if they did struggle for the first few games, you know, there was going to start you know being noise coming out of the media and, and maybe the fans. But um, I thought you know they worked incredibly hard, which is a key part of. Hodgson's teams and, and, and Palace. And yeah, Zaha's uh, pushed further forward now. It looks like he's got a free role um, with uh, uh, Eze uh, around him. And obviously, uh, you, you put in Jordan Ayew, who, who's been a very good player for them last year, especially. Um, it looks like he may have uh, found a way to sort of freshen up the team. And the next question will be whether Zaha stays, but um, we'll see in the next few weeks. Yeah, you, you you hope that the 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 investment certainly and and that start is something that might kind of curb his wanderlust a little bit, and they might be able to keep Zaha. Um, Alan, I don't know, have you any thoughts on Hodgson or kind of uh, obviously from Palace's point of view that they're just very good at doing the right bit of business uh, in terms of getting the results they need against the teams they need to beat. Well, you you'll both be surprised at this, but on paper, this is the fixture that that most people in, in the betting industry were actually looking at this weekend. And I'll tell you why. Because if you were asking anybody who they thought were their dark horses for relegation, as in outside of the obvious, but they're going to struggle, Palace were on everybody's lips there. And we took lots of bets on Palace to go down. On the flip side, we took many, many bets on Southampton to be the ones that maybe are the dark horse to break into the top six, wow. certainly not top four, but were one of the ones that steadied it last year and everyone was saying Hassan Norton was doing a great job and they'll be the dark horses. They were backed on the handicap where you give teams a point start. So everybody going into this game thought the absolute opposite of what happened. And it just goes to show that those perceptions, and we talked about them there, you know, everyone thought that Southampton were going to be the dark horses to, to perform, out outperform, and Palace to underperform. And in game one, Palace go and win one nil, and Southampton don't even get on the score sheet. But um, you know, you make the point about Zahar. He's set on leaving. I mean, I think Hodgson has said he hasn't said that he, he needs to get to get rid of him. I mean, obviously they're going to need to get money for him, but 
he's saying that he's set on leaving. It's a very different thing than saying he's up for sale. Um, yeah. And I think that that is the key here. And maybe, just maybe, he'll see something just in that team where he thinks, I'm going to stay. And also, who's going to come in for him? Yes. Yeah. Well, they're, they're talking about that and they're looking at the, the business. Everton's always been on the cards, isn't it? And, and player swaps and, and this is the thing. Where's he going to go and be the be the focal point of the team that's that's maybe going to be better than this. I mean, I mean, Leicester, is he, could he go to Leicester? I mean that, you know, but that doesn't feel like to me to be an ambitious move. You know, Arsenal, I don't know if you'd get in a game there, uh, you know, or you're, you're certainly competing with players all season for a game. Um, that's, That's the thing, Martin, when you start going through the options, how many of them that are realistic are actually ending up better than Palace and living in London? I, yeah. I don't think there are many. I think, I think, the, like you just said, then the only club where he could improve a little bit on his potential to play European football and play around better players is Leicester. I don't think any other t- any any of the teams in the top six are either able to afford or take him or have a place for him in their team. Yeah. No, I think I think you're absolutely right. Well, listen, I, I, for Roy's sake, I, I hope he manages to find a way to keep him because I, I have enjoyed. Uh, his tenure of Crystal Palace and they are a club when you go to watch them play at home uh, a really passionate home support that kind of they, they appreciate the job that he's done it's, it's your hands are tied up to some extent when you're at a club like Palace and and you know uh, there's a realistic um, expectation should we say about from some of the fan base I know it's depressing sometimes to be be grinding it out, but they've always found a way, and um, and you know he's and he's done it. He's done it in style, you know, uh, over the last couple of seasons in in like little bursts, hasn't he? So I, I'd like to see them uh, stay up, but yeah, in, I expected more from Southampton, that's for sure. Um, just one one more uh, game, maybe to just get your thoughts on. So Leicester uh, probably expected against West Brom, but Vardy, <laughs> I mean Vardy does not look like he's aged, does he, Alan? And and and. Could it be another good season for him in the scoring charts? It looks like it could be. Well, you know, we've spoken about this before and and obviously, you know, I was lucky enough to see his rise through non-league football at very, very close hand. And um, when he had his champ, you know, when they when they won the league, uh, Leicester won the league, and he, was, uh, he was around the top of the scoring charts. You would think that that was a one-off. And then... You know, he's gone better with a golden boot last year. And then even now, and I'm someone that's got massive, massive faith in him. Even now, this season, I was looking at his price to be top scorer, having having won some money on him last year and thinking, I just think this season's a bridge too far for him. And that and the decline might start this season. But then he goes and does that. And <laughs> he, he just he's just rewriting stuff. He's an absolute one-off. Yeah. Uh, you know, and you make that point about coming through the non-leagues, remember it yourself, and we've spoken about it lots on it, because it is, it's incredible, all the way through to Leicester winning the league, it is, it is Roy the Rovers, uh, you know, when Saturday comes stuff. Uh, well, I, I, I sent, I sent the tweet after, after the last game of last season that, that nobody had picked up on, but he's the only player in history, and I don't think there'll ever be another one, to be top scorer in the top flight of non-league football, and then be, golden boot winner in the Premier League and that will never happen again no no that's incredible yeah and you know you look at players of that calibre you know Ian Wright perhaps you look at players that have maybe come on a similar sort of journey but no one's 
no one's done it to that degree, you know. Not the rags to riches like that, because perhaps Ian Wright was, you know, always always destined to be the player, but maybe no one would have said that of Vardy, even when he was banging it in in the non-league. Gareth, uh, did you catch any of the less the game and, and maybe just uh, your, your thoughts on them this season? They're, they're a fascinating team in terms of uh, you wonder what their, their ceiling is. Um, you, you feel that they probably reached or, or touched that ceiling last year when they pushed for a top four place to the last day of the season. Um, and, you know, they, they've reinvested in, in the squad a little bit. They, they sold Chilwell and they, they brought in a, you know, a new left back. And it's, I, I think there's going to be a big focus from uh, 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 Brendan Rodgers' side and, you know, what sort of manager he is and, uh, you know, can he push this team on and, and push them forward? So I don't know. I think they're one of the more intriguing storylines. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, well, whatever they'll be, they won't be. They won't be dull to watch because uh, you know that's the one thing about Brendan Rodgers. He's a very good coach, and he finds ways of of uh, kind of pushing pushing what he has. Uh, listen, gents, it's been it's been great to have you both on tonight. Alan, are you uh, you going to any games this weekend? Are you managed to sneak in on a press pass anywhere? I've got a wedding this weekend, so I won't be going to any matches. But um, I'm not sure where I would have been able to go. Actually, um, sneaking in with a press pass I can only do that at. Uh, at uh, West Ham games if uh, if our media guys don't take <laughs> up there. So uh, I always feel a bit guilty because there are fans, West Ham fans, that definitely probably deserve to be there more so than myself. But um, I, I know that it's West Ham Arsenal at the weekend. So um, it's, you know, it's one of those games within that six for West Ham that, that look very, very tricky indeed. Yeah, no, agreed. Uh, uh, Gareth, how about yourself? What are you up to? Uh, you're just kind of enjoying the games from home at the minute. It's great to have them back, isn't it? Yeah, um, it's, you know, selfishly, I do love the fact that I can watch two games on a Monday evening or four on a Saturday. So we'll see. I want to say we'll see how long it takes me to get sick of that, but I'm not sure I ever have or will. <laughs> not fair enough. All right. Well, listen, uh, great to have you both on. Really enjoyed uh, your input tonight. So I, I hope to speak to you both again soon. I'm sure I'm sure we'll have plenty to talk about regardless of when it is. Cheers, Alan. Thank you. Cheers, guys. Pleasure. Uh, and cheers, Gareth. Thanks very much. Cheers, man. That was a whistle, boys. Wasn't that a great podcast? Now, if you've got 90 seconds spare in your day, come and listen to ours. It's called What Has He Said Now? and is available wherever you got this podcast. You're going to lose a number of people to the flu. This is a Playback Media production. To listen to all our football podcasts, visit playbackmedia.co.uk. Sports Social Podcast Network.